Hello, everyone, and welcome to Celtic Preacher Podcast 180. And today, observations on guidance. Yeah, guidance. One of the themes that comes up over and over and over again in the scripture is this idea of God leading us or giving us a sense of direction. It's, it's like one of the gifts one receives as a follower of Christ. You're not in this world doing everything by yourself. It's one of the, one of the gifts. In fact, one of the last teachings that Jesus gave his students before he left them, he said, now don't worry, I'm not going to leave you all alone to fend for yourself. I'm, I'm going to give you my presence. It's like an indwelling presence. I'm going to give you my spirit, my presence, indwelling. And that spirit will guide you. Now, he didn't elaborate very much on it, and uh, unfortunately, because, uh, you know, I found that there's quite an art to this whole idea of being sensitive to and being led by the Spirit. It's sort of a learning curve, I guess you would say. But that was the last promise. He said, I'm, I'm going to give you the Spirit. I'm not leaving you all by yourself. I'm not going to be orphaned. But I'm going to give you the indwelling presence. In other words, the, the, the spirit or this presence will give you capacity to hear wisdom at a deeper level, to go beyond what you think you know. I have more for you. It's like, really? Well, guide me into what or where? And, and the answer could be, well, the guidance is, is it's like as much or as little as you like. I mean, you get to choose. The promise basically is God says, I can guide you. And, and then the next part is, well, what do you need help with? What do you need guidance for? You know, because the promise is, I, the Spirit will definitely help you. So what do you need help with? What do you need guidance for? What do you, what, when we talk about leading, what do you need this leading for? It's like, well, I'm 16 and I have no idea what to do with my life. Can God help me with that? Yeah. If that's where you are in your life and that's what you need, yes, absolutely. Or I'm 80, I should be downsizing, but I don't really want to downsize. Can God help me with that? Yeah, sure. If that's, where, if that's the point you are in your life. Well, guidance. Can God open up the right job for me? Or can God help me choose the right partner? Can God show me why I'm so unhappy? And a thousand other things. Yeah, Jesus said, just ask. Just learn how to start asking. Ask God. Tell God what's on your mind. And it's not because God needs to know anything. God already knows what's on our minds. But it helps us to clarify you know, what is weighing us down? What is stressing us? What is a burden to us? He's saying you don't have to figure it out all by yourself. So today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to just give a few observations on guidance. I'm using Peter, uh, one of uh, the main leaders of the early church. He's a great example. 
Peter because he sometimes gets it and he sometimes doesn't. And I like this about Peter because, you know, sometimes he's really open to a, a, a deeper reality, spiritual things, an awareness of uh, the unseen realms. Sometimes he's really open and sensitive to God, and then sometimes he's not. Sometimes he's really closed down, which I think is a very common state, you know, uh, to, to have both, to hold both. So it's like, are you open to God? Yes. Are you close to God? Yes. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So I like Peter for this reason, because sometimes he is way ahead of everyone else and so open and creative and thinking outside the box. And then other times he's so rigid and so closed down and um, lacking in insight and understanding. So I just love this whole idea that, that he's both and that I think it's the most common place for us to be both open and closed. Uh, I mean, every so often, I know that you, I know that we meet people every so often that we really meet someone who is incredibly open and desiring God's direction, no matter what, right? Every so often, there'll be somebody like, wow, that's kind of unusual. It's like, no matter what, I want God's leading and direction. But most of us are not at that level of maturity, myself included, I can assure you. So usually I think personal preference can easily lead the way when it comes to, oh, I'm looking for guidance or uh, I would like God to give me some insight into this problem or, yeah, mostly personal preference leads the way because personal preference, our own desires, are always there up front in our minds. You know, we have them all the time for everything. Uh, and they're always there reminding us, this is what you want, this is what you need. And a lot of the time it's, it's really not helpful because maybe our personal preference is what we need, but maybe it's not. Maybe God has something else. So personal preference, yeah. Most people want God's will if it coincides with their personal preferences. That, I think, is a learning curve in the spiritual life, in our emotional lives. I think it's a learning curve, something to keep in mind, because uh, sometimes we get our personal preferences and sometimes we don't. And we can spend a lot of time being terribly, terribly disappointed when things don't go the way we want them to go. So, yeah, that's what we're looking at today. And using the story of Peter in the book of Acts, Acts 11. And it's an interesting one because actually this particular story uh, and God's leading for Peter, it goes completely against what he could ever, ever imagine. Uh, it's completely against his personal preferences, but a whole new world opens up for him, and it has rippling effects that Peter could never in a million years imagine for himself, his family, everyone he knows 
right trickling down to this generation. But first of all, the background is, let me give you, set this in a little bit of historical context because um, this is where I'm gleaming all these insights from. It's, it's from these stories. So not just my own personal experience. So the background is about seven or eight years ago, Jesus physically left them. Okay, that's the whole Easter ascension story. He left them. And by now, it's eight years on, eight Easter's have passed. Peter is one of the main leaders in this growing movement of the way. It wasn't called the church at that time so much. They weren't even called Christians at that time. They were called people of the way. And they were a little sect of Judaism that uh, adhered to the teachings of this Rabbi Jesus. And they wanted to walk and live and model their life after him. So that's where they are, eight years on, and, and Peter's one of the leaders. And at this point, everyone in the story, in the history of the Jesus movement, they're all Jewish. Everybody's Jewish. Uh, when Jesus came, he was Jewish. When he taught, picked his disciples, they were Jewish. Uh, when he taught, he taught in the synagogue, which was Jewish. When he used scripture, he used Jewish Old Testament scripture. When he reached out to people, they were Jewish. Everybody is just a, you know, it's just set in Judaism and it's, everyone belongs to the Jewish religion, all the teachings of Jesus. He primarily came for Jewish people. It's a Jewish story. And as far as everybody's concerned, everybody's fine with that. That's the way it should be. It was a bias that no one questioned because you tend not to question your biases, right? If you're raised in a tradition, a culture, or a religion, you tend to go along with the rules for the most part. I mean, you tend to. I mean, there's always some that start to question and doubt, and, but for the most part, you tend to kind of go along with what your family goes along with, your friends go along with, your town, your culture, your country, your religion, whatever your social peers, whatever. So the rule for Peter was, we're Jewish, not everyone is, and that's fine by us, and we want to keep it that way. It kind of reminded me a little bit about when I was uh, in school in Scotland, I was reminded that there were two schools, there were two high schools, what we would call secondary schools, uh, and over here in the USA we call them high schools, but in the UK, in Scotland, they were called secondary schools. And there were two. There was one for the Protestants and one for the Catholics. Now, this had really nothing to do with were you a follower of Christ in the sense that did you have a strong connection to your local Presbyterian church or your Baptist church? Did you follow in that way? No, it wasn't really about that. It was more about this we're sort of born into this identity of if you're not Catholic, then you're Protestant. And there was two different schools and they were really close to each other. And all the Protestants went to the Protestant school. All the Catholic kids went to the, the Catholic school. And you know, we never really ever 
next, even though we were in walking distance to each other, we never really mixed. The schools never mixed. It was like this unreflected bias, which was, well, they're the Catholic students and they, they are in their school. And we're the Protestant students and we, we're in our school. And we never questioned it. We never mixed. I never really had any Catholic friends because everyone I met was in the Protestant school. So this, the, this bias was never ever reflected upon, considered, at least I didn't anyway, and maybe there were some people that, that did reflect on these things, but I never even gave it a second thought. We were separate and we didn't mix and that was it. So for Peter and all the disciples, they were Jewish and they kept to Jewish people and that was it. That was just the way it was. And because they were raised that way and because their parents were that way and down throughout the generations, it was never really reflected upon nor considered. So, yeah, there's certain things that we simply don't question because it's the water that we swim in. Although I must say that one of the lessons of, of the spiritual life is to start to pay attention to, observe, and question the waters that, that we swim in. I mean, this is, <laughs> Jesus modeled this continually. So there's, that's, that's Peter's background. He's raised in, in the Jewish culture. And he assumes that the Jesus movement is for people like him until this one day. He's sitting on a roof, he's meditating, and he's praying. And the short version of the story is, because I have covered this in previous teachings, I'm just going to give you the briefest, shortest version. He's on the roof praying, he's hungry, he's waiting for his dinner, so he's there, he is up in his, up in his deck, and he's hungry, he's waiting for his meal to be prepared, and he's having a quiet time, he's reflecting, thinking, he's praying, and he has a strange picture vision. And it's a, it's a picture, it's a vision of a large sheet coming down from heaven, the clouds. And in this sheet, there's all these animals and birds that he's been taught since he's a boy to never ever eat this kind of unkosher food. And so this vision comes with all these unkosher creatures and a voice says, and the voice is God, Peter, eat. And Peter's like, oh, I'd never do that. They're unclean. I'd never, ever, ever do that. It's unkosher food. I'd never, ever do that. And in this vision, three times, of course, it happens. Everything seems to happen in threes in the scripture, right? Three times, uh, God insists, eat. And it's the idea that what God says is acceptable is acceptable. So it's like, Peter, here's the lesson. Regardless of your upbringing, regardless of your religious tradition, regardless of your understanding of the scripture, don't make distinction between what is kosher 
and what is not kosher, between people that are okay and between people that are not okay. And just at that moment, of course, it's not a coincidence, a knock comes to the door. And it's a group of people from representing Cornelius's family who is not Jewish. And Cornelius is really, really open to wanting to learn more about what this Rabbi Jesus teaches. Could Peter come? Could Peter tell Cornelius and his family and his friends that have gathered in Cornelius's home? Could, could Peter please come and tell them about Jesus' way of living? Well, the dilemma is, of course, is that he's not Jewish. Normally, Peter would have no problem at all going to somebody's house and talking about Jesus' teaching, but he's not Jewish. However, the story is, is that Peter puts his apprehensions to the side, goes to Cornelius' house, and to cut a long story even shorter, Cornelius' family and friends, all of them are not Jewish. They're completely enthusiastic about Jesus' way. They want to follow. They want to be baptized. They are completely open to this indwelling presence that leads and guides. Yes, of course, we'll have that too. Count us in. We are following. So this big group of people were added to the followers that day. Now, Peter got into a lot of trouble for this. Uh, James, up in Jerusalem, Jesus' brother, wasn't happy at all. It's like, what in the world is going on? This isn't for non-Jewish people. This is for us. What is going on? So they did what every church down throughout the centuries have done when there's a controversial issue. They called a meeting. We need to get this sorted out. Well, it was a bitter, bitter dispute, as it has been down throughout the centuries. Every time the church uh, tries to grapple with a controversial issue. Bitter dispute, lots of heartbreak, lots of broken relationships, very, very messy. Debated for a long time, discussed for years, but in the end, it was decided Okay, it's decided. Jesus isn't only for Jewish people. Yeah, that was the decision. For God so loved the world. Yeah. And for those of you who like history, it was the Jerusalem Council, it was called, that the debate was finally settled. So what happened was is that Peter is guided or led uh, into this entirely new way of leading. And it's something that he would never have ever considered. And when I reflected on this narrative, a few things jumped out. That uh, a few things, a few thoughts on that tell us something about the nature of guidance. Because we're always looking for patterns in the scripture right? Uh, you and I are not heading up some major church movement, right? But we are people of the way, and we're always in need of guidance, aren't we? We're always looking for, wondering, grappling with decisions and choices and 
wondering what to do and yeah, so what can we learn from this? Well, you've already probably picked up a few things, but the thing that I that struck me was is that sometimes when we have a decision to make, sometimes uh, when God leads, it is not in a predictable way. And it's something that we've never really considered before. It's thinking completely outside the box. Now, occasionally, you'll meet someone with a flair for originality in the way that they approach problems. Doesn't happen that often. It's a wonderful gift when it happens. You'll meet someone with a flair for originality, the way that they view the world, the way that they listen and respond to something that you're grappling with. And after a conversation with them, you think, well, I never, I never thought about it that way before. Never really thought about it that way before. So this happens to us when we meet certain people, particularly creative people. Now, here, for Peter and for the young church, here God's leading is unexpected and unconventional and certainly goes against personal preference. I have to keep that in mind for Peter, who would never have in a million years thought of going to Cornelius's house and starting to talk to the non-Jewish people about Jesus' way. Would never have even entered his mind for a second. So it's just worth keeping in mind that when we have decisions to make, when we have choices to make, there's one or there's two or there's three ways to go here. Could be in a work situation, could be in our family situation, could be in a conflicted relationship. When God impresses upon us a thought, a consideration, an idea, a direction, when it comes back two or three times, because it's easy to dismiss a thought once or twice, when it starts to come back, two or three times. Could it possibly be this indwelling presence? It might be completely original and new, and it may not be your personal preference. Hold personal preferences as lightly as possible. Saves a lot of heartache. When we think of a plan, a way forward, an idea, and it doesn't play out the way we want, we can get very discouraged. And it's because we cling too rigidly to our personal preferences. And we think, oh, this isn't working out. This is hopeless. And now my prayer's not being answered. I don't even know why I even bother praying in the first place. Or this is so wrong, the way this is turning out. It's not good. It's not good. Well, rather than go down that road too quickly... Could it possibly be, could, it's just like entertaining this. Could it be that God has something else for you and you just can't see it yet? And I know that that's a really hard place to be in. I feel like I've been holding this place myself for uh, quite a while now, that it's not quite the way that I want things to be. But I can't quite see 
the next step. And I've noticed in myself, I'm very quick to judge something as good or bad, rather than, well, let's just not judge it too quickly. It's not what I wanted, but I wonder how the creative indwelling presence will lead. I wonder what new thing will arise. Something to consider, isn't it? Another thing I notice about Peter is, is that his sense of direction is affirmed by other people. And eventually James comes around, it's certainly Cornelius and his family and friends certainly affirm that it was the right thing to do. His decision is affirmed by others, meaning he has support. He has support. Now, this is, this is tricky to navigate because this isn't a call to be completely other-referenced, right? This isn't a call like, oh, you have to check in with someone or, you know, you have to always be checking in for approval. Such and such says this is okay, so it's okay. Um, I think people can go overboard on that. Uh, this is more of the idea that the spiritual life isn't just me and God. Now, I know that in North America, it certainly veers in that direction. It's pretty much me and God. But for Peter, Cornelius, his family, his friends, other leaders, James, Paul, um, you know, Mary, Lydia, Joanna, they, it, it was a group thing. It is such a group thing in the New Testament. Uh, you know, Pete, Peter's on track here, they would say, and we support him. There's certain things that go better with the support of friends and decision-making. It's not always a case that we have to make decisions alone. If you have a group of people around you or one or two people around you that say, I don't think that's a good idea, that's worthwhile considering, isn't it? Now, again, I said 2,000 years later, we've tipped the other way. It's all about me and God. No, Peter would say, I got a lot of help from others to do what I believed was the right thing to do. It was actually quite a hard thing, Peter would say. I got a lot of flack. I got a lot of trouble for this. When I first started out, people did not affirm me very much at all. But I got enough affirmation and enough people around me that I thought, you know, this is, this is a good thing. Now, we're so moved so far away from this that I think that this is going to be the next major uh, turn in the church, the, the major correction. Uh, because we were so far the other way, and COVID made it even worse. We're even more self-contained, and it's even more just me and God, or me and the family. Um, I have a sense that it's going to tip in the direction of the Acts movement, because we're just so isolated. And isolation is not good in so many different ways. And then the, the last thing I noticed about this, and there's so many more, but I have to talk in threes because that's what we do, right? Three for the Trinity. No, I'm only joking. So 
the last thing I noticed was is that God begins to change Peter's mind when he's praying. Now, when he's praying, remember, remember he's praying in this picture of the sheep comes down with all the unkosher food. Whatever Peter was praying about, and we don't know what he was actually praying about, there is an, an openness for something new to drop in, which means at some level, he is not attached to his own agenda. And I think that this may well be the number one trip up area in prayer. The number one, one of the number one trip up areas in prayer, in seeking for guidance, in making a choice, making a decision, is the agenda can be chiseled in granite. There is simply no room for leading. In other words, we sometimes we, we think we're, we're open to receiving direction until our plans fall through, and then it's so disappointing, and that's a flag that says, well, if you were so set in it being this one way, how open were you to really receiving in the first place? So I think what can happen is, is that, and, you know, we, we do this, you know, without, it's almost like it's unconscious because it's only when we see it that we realize we've done it. I think what can happen is, is that we can desire wisdom, leading, counsel, guidance, help, but we can be so set in what it has to look like. Again, the, the agenda is chiseled in granite. This is what I need you to do. This is how it's going to work out. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm not going to do. And I won't do this either, and I won't do that, and I won't entertain this. That we wonder why, you know, we're kind of stuck. And I think that's why. I think that the number one area for trip up in guidance is a lack of openness. And I think I have found that one of the ways that God can show us that we're resisting is via disappointments. Because when they come and when things don't work out, we it's like a gentle nudge, sometimes not so gentle, that can say, are you really open to what God has for you in this situation? Or are you still trying to make it happen? You're still trying to make it happen. Not an easy lesson, and it's something that we'll continue to learn for the rest of our lives, but certainly worth considering. Certainly worth considering if you are, if you're, looking and seeking and waiting for guidance of some sort, how rigid is this agenda that you have? And how open are you? Because in order for Peter to be open to reaching out to a whole group of people that he would never even consider in a million years, he has a sensitivity to leading that is somewhat unusual. Now, I've certainly known people that have this, 
but it is somewhat unusual. And so that becomes the prayer, I think, in the heart cry. One of the prayers, one of the heart cries. I want to hold things very, very lightly, not get too disappointed when things aren't going the way we want, when we're trusting in God leading us. There's the prayer, there's the heart cry, help us, God, to just hold things lightly. Hold things lightly that you might show us your way. Thank you for joining me. You've been listening to Celtic Preacher. Join with me again next week for another episode.